We'd stepped out of our little tangent with smiles on our faces, but that didn't last long. Our first stop was Midvale, Supergirl's home. When last we left her, she'd gone through three disappointing red kryptonite-driven crises, and three more red-hued hijinks were still to come. Hi, my name is John. And I'm Matthew. And we are the DC Detectives. It is our job to go back through the annals of DC Comics history and chronicle the evolution of all your favorite heroes from start to every reversible finish. All right, we're back at our usual uh, nonsense today. Uh, we've took a little bit of a break after doing episodes 100 and 101. I think we've earned it. Um, so we're back to action comics because we're going to talk Supergirl right now. And I think it's important that we talk about this. I think it's still because she still has her own show and it's a very successful show from what I understand. Um, I'm working my way up to watching it because there's a lot of TV um, and the CW universe is very uh, heavy and laden <laughs> with content. So I'm, I'm getting there. At any rate, we're going to be looking at action comics, specifically the Supergirl stories that happen in the action comics alongside Superman stories and etc. She does not have her own book. Uh, we're going to be doing action comics uh, throughout the year of 1962. So that's about 12 issues. And then next episode we'll go through from 63 to 64. We're going to start with Action Comics number 284, January 1962. We're still back at that weird two-part storyline where she got affected by Red Kryptonite from the last Supergirl episode that we dealt with many, many moons back. Look up in the playlist. Um, you should be able to find that last episode because I have curated all of our episodes now, and you can do that. Um, 284, January 1962. The side effects of Red Kryptonite are affecting Supergirl in some physical ways this time. She is now, she, she grew a second head. That head disappears. And then she has death vision as opposed to x-ray vision. So when she just looks at things, they die. Guess what? That's just a Red Kryptonite hallucination. Remember, Red Kryptonite does that to you. And then the last transformation, she gets a mermaid tail. And we get a little side story with her and Jero, who's her mermaid boyfriend. Not to be confused with Reno, the shitty mermaid boyfriend of Wonder Woman. Uh, Jero is the, I think he's the the nephew of Lori Lamaris, who is Superman's ex-mermaid girlfriend. Yeah, we're getting real deep into the mermaid relationship situation part of the Silver Age. There's a little side story with her with a mermaid tail meeting up with Jero. That goes away because red kryptonite always wears off. And at the end of the story, Superman returns from wherever he was in whatever Superman story he was in. And uh, tells her that he's ready to reveal her to the world, finally, like an actual cousin should be. Um, so immediately we go into Action Comics number 285, 1962, February. Um, Supergirl tells her adopted parents, the uh, Danvers, uh, that she is Supergirl. She reveals her identity to them. They're overjoyed that their daughter is a brave and powerful young woman, and they're so happy and proud. Um Superman shows up at the house and he's like, hey, this is really great. I'm really glad you guys know. We need to keep this a secret so that nothing happens to the two of you. But now you can help Supergirl. And they're like, absolutely. We're totally 100% on board with this, which I actually really liked. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed the Danvers being in on the secret now. And it, it, it does mirror the Kents for her. And even Superman kind of says like, ah, yes, yeah, seeing her with them kind of reminds me of being with the Kents. And it's like, ah, that's kind of sweet. Um, yeah. Superman parades her across the world saying this is my cousin she is here now helping me whenever i'm not on earth she will be here um and the world is pretty accepting about it the crime 
underworld is like, well, shit, there's a, another super person. Um, other planets seem to be watching this and are also overjoyed. Yeah. And that's a weird thing. Uh, Atlantis makes a big mermaid Supergirl thing. They're just pages of adulation, I guess might be a way. Yeah. Kind of like it's, it's that big of a deal. And it's not just that the characters are like that. It's not just that this moment is happening. It's that the writers are clearly putting their page count behind. This is a big deal. And that it is not a dream sequence. Yes. They were very insistent that this is not a red kryptonite hallucination. This is not a dream sequence. This is not a trick by Mr. Mixius Pitlick. This is a real thing happening. So the next story in this two-parter of 285 is Supergirl's first solo mission now that she's revealed to the world. She fights a kaiju, as we all know, is a giant monster. And during her fight, she's like, it's too big. I can't fight it. I have to go to the Legion of Superheroes in the future. Have them give me a gun that will help shrink this thing down so that I can contain it. She saves the day. During this story, everyone is like, well, she can't be as good as Superman because she can't handle this. We're really, you know, worried that Supergirl can't do it. And then when she solves the problem with the aid of the Legion of Superheroes from the future, everyone's like, you're just as resourceful and smart as your cousin and just as, you know, invulnerable and durable and what have you. I don't like that her first story as an open superhero ended with her needing help. I agree. And... There's going to be a recurring theme that I'm going to dig into. And even more than that, the thing that really bugs me is that she is worried about disappointing Superman throughout this story. It's not I'm worried I'm not going to live up to his expectations. It's not the like parental I'm so disappointed in you. She is actively worried that by her not living not even living up to his standards but not uh meeting his needs is a crass way to put it but meeting the the rules that he laid out of i you will not reveal yourself before this time and you will handle things that the privileges will be revoked this is not an empowering situation for her the next Issue is Action Comics number 286, 1962, March. Lex Luthor breaks out of jail in an effort to show how crappy Supergirl is by beating her with his super brain. The first thing he actually tries to do is disprove that Supergirl is a real girl by actually trying to prove that she is a Kryptonian robot that Superman made. Now, I gotta give the writers credit. That's actually a good theory. Because mm-hmm. Superman makes a lot of lifelike robots. So, unfortunately for Lex Luthor, she's not a robot. And once he discovers this, he's like, well, crap, now I have to play into her. I have to play into her femininity, essentially, is what he says, and tries to, like, psychologically hurt her instead of physically, which is just a dick move on a lot of counts. Um, It doesn't work. And in the ensuing pursuit, Lex Luthor shoots himself with a gun that he has designed to hurt Kryptonians, and it kills him. Now, Supergirl, not content with this defies the laws of nature and brings Lex Luthor back to life so that he can serve his life sentences, getting technology from all different parts of the world and galaxy to do this, which in my mind, I was like, okay, is Supergirl a necromancer? Is she aware of the powers of life? And is, is Luthor a zombie? Did she just get him before his heart stopped? What happened here? If nothing else, I think it's framed as that. It's like a, 
hey, he he hit himself with like a nuke gun, like some manner of radiation yeah. that was especially kryptonite. I I I was probably I was reading this quickly, so who knows if I got this right? But I definitely it's, got the feel that it was dumb. more like uh, he's he's dead, but he's not dead dead yet. And if you get the right it's treatment mostly for that, yeah, exactly, yeah. We're going to move on to Action Comics number 287, April 1962. Linda Lee, Supergirl's alternate identity, the young girl who used to be in an orphanage, for those of you who don't remember, um, joins a Superman fan club because her friends have invited her. And that's just the cutest shit in the world. Lois Lane shows up and tells right. stories about meeting Superman. And Linda Lee's like, ho, 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 that's my cousin's, uh, you know, flirtation. Uh, meanwhile, after this, she goes to visit the Legion of Superheroes in the future. To defeat some kind of energy enemy that she kills, I'm gonna body count yeah. that one. Because there were she used one energy creature to kill another, and one of those energy creatures used to be a sentient person. Yeah, I think that's a ding. So that's a ding. I'm not gonna count the other energy creature because energy is non-sentient life unless it shows cognitive thought. I think we've made that distinction on the on the show before because when we're dealing with the energy creatures from the uh, mysteries in space. Uh, issues with Adam Strange. This looked like a sentient bird creature that was fighting an energy creature man thing, and it, that used to be a person. And I'm like, you killed what? You killed something. Um, meanwhile, while she's doing this, the Legion is replaced by Chameleon Men because other things have to happen in this issue. And uh, Kara figures out that the Legion has been replaced because none of them have their powers, and then they attack her, and she has to rescue the regular Legion. And one thing I, I want to stress that a little bit even further, it's not that these are like story threads. It's not like one thing is seated in one piece and it develops in the next. It really is three separate stories that were strung together by this one concludes in such a way that, okay, uh, it's not that they're part of the same story. It's not like they're woven together. It's like if you have two modular things and you like snap them together. It's more like yeah. Legos or they put like together an erector set of plot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, yes, there it is. There's the term. These these things don't have to go together, but they do fit. And and that's the key thing is they fit the amount of pages. <laughs> yeah, you are in the future and this is the Legion of Superheroes. You definitely can have chameleon men. Do you need that extra wheel on your weird Lego creation, child? No, but you want it there. That's a lot of what some of these stories feel like. Yes. It feels like there was a mandate of there must be X challenges overcome per story. and Or per page, rather, is probably the better way to do it. And I don't know how much of this is Jerry Siegel trying to justify his job. Because there is some, I have heard tale, of a Jack Kirby interview as he's being interviewed in the Marvel bullpen and he does a reference to, see that guy over there? And the reporter mentions that he looks and he goes, that's the guy that created Superman. And Siegel is copy editing at Marvel because he can't get another job. I wonder if Siegel is trying to justify his employment at this point before he starts to lose a lot of his writing gigs and he's just making things. And by the time we finish this episode, uh, the last four stories will not have been written by Siegel, at least at least according to DC Wiki. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. But we're going to move on to Action Comics number 288, May 1962. 
bad guys from the Phantom Zone hypnotize Linda Lee's father into making her cry so they can use her Kryptonian tears to tear a hole into the Phantom Zone. I'm just going to let that sentence sit for a few seconds, and so we can all just kind of absorb the madcap hijinks that one could imagine occurs in an issue where a grown man must make his adopted daughter cry. Done? Okay, good. So am I. Mon-El shows up. We've never met Mon-El before because we haven't covered the Superboy comics on this podcast, but Mon-El is another Kryptonian that shows up in the Superboy comics who's also in the Phantom Zone for reasons I don't know, and I didn't care to look up because he only shows up for two pages, and it seems like it doesn't matter. But he shows up, beats the guys up who are in the Phantom Zone, takes them back into the Phantom Zone, pushes Kryptonite away from uh, Kara as she's weakened, and saves her life and the returns of the Phantom Zone. Something about Mon-El being affected by lead the way that Kryptonians are affected by Kryptonite because he was on Krypton and not... or I don't know. It's stupid. It's dumb. Mm -hmm. This is a dumb story. I don't know how tears are supposed to get you out of the Phantom Zone. We're moving forward. It's, it's very pop. Oh, God. Yeah, it's, it's super pop. Uh, Action Comics, number 289, June 1962. Supergirl plays matchmaker for Superman in an issue of the comic that is wholly uncomfortable for a lot of reasons. Reasons number one, she tries to set him up with historical figures, which fucks with the timeline, presumably. <laughs> she tries to set him up with... We all know how I feel about time travel on this podcast, and we're not going to get into it, but needless to say, she tries to hook him up with Helen of Troy, and it doesn't work. Secondly, she tries to hook him up with Phantom Girl, who is now Phantom Woman, because they go past the time period when the Legion of Superheroes are kids to when the Legion of Superheroes are adults. And I'm, I'm incorrect here. She tries to hook him up with Saturn Woman, who is the grown-up version of Saturn Girl, who is in a relationship with Lightning Lad, I think? Or Solar Man? It doesn't matter, because none of it matters. And Kara's like, ah, I should have hooked him up with Phantom Woman, because she looks single. What kind of fucking statement is that? You don't know what's going on in Phantom Woman's life. You don't know how she's dating. You can't tell just by looking at a person. I don't know. I don't, it's too much for me. And then she comes back and she's like, I don't know who to get you to date, Superman. I've been trying to get you a date this whole time. This, is, this sucks. And then Superman says the one thing that no person should ever say to their cousin uh, when you're in a comic in the 1960s under the comics code, which is, I would like to date someone like you, but it's illegal for cousins to date in certain states. And that alone is a screen-capped issue and page of comics that will never go away, that Superman wishes he could date his cousin, his younger cousin, who's technically his older cousin, and it's just dumb, and then she finds another planet with a woman that looks exactly like her, who has powers just like her, except... She is hurt by yellow sun radiation, so she can't be on Earth. So Superman's still single. And it's like she forgot that Lois and Lana Lang are around. Um, <laughs> Action Comics number 290, July 1962. Uh, Kara's two boyfriends. Her boyfriend is Linda Lee and her boyfriend is Supergirl. Uh, Jero, the mermaid boy, and Dick Malvern, her just midvale sweetheart um both get superpowers after supergirl is given a statue from phantom girl from the legion of superheroes that she doesn't know that she accidentally painted with red kryptonite so of course shenanigans ensue and when supergirl kisses both dick malvern and jero they get superpowers for a day and then nothing comes of it and it's a stupid storyline 
I, I actually do know how to close that one out, and it's to call out something that we've is sort of a trend. It's it didn't go the story didn't go for the cheap and for the most natural story, which is and they butt heads uh, either because that like it even they don't get portrayed like knowingly or unknowingly as oh these are the two rivals who are clashing no like they meet and they're like hey you have powers i have powers we're best friends now jero is the only one that knows that dick malvern is a potential suitor for supergirl because he can read his mind and Mm -hmm. even so he's still a good guy to him yeah steve trevor and reno could learn a thing from the pair of them and stories throughout haven't taken the obvious portion like there there have been points where i saw the first page of a story i was like oh it's gonna go here and it didn't for instance the other actually almost exactly the same thing is the two heads that we mentioned uh from the first story with the red kryptonite uh there isn't the two heads bickering it's one of the heads is just like i don't know anything and so the primary supergirl head has to explain oh don't worry like we're indestructible don't worry like we have powers don't Um, worry we can fly here's a watermelon yeah (laughs) yeah i'm not i'm not joking they eat a watermelon together because comics yeah silver age is wild man Uh, (laughs) especially this kind of silver age that is being written for spectacle we're Uh, not even at the worst part yeah keep going (laughs) yeah we're not even at the worst part man um Mr. Mixius Pitalik decides to mess with Supergirl for the first time that he's seen her and goes, I'm going to just make your life a living hell and you have no idea how to handle this. And she does, to her credit, uh, you know, she's done her homework and looked at Superman's notes on Mixius Pitalik and she tries to get him to spell his name backwards. Um, Unfortunately, she just yells at him and he's like, wow, you're really attractive. How about I do a bunch of stuff for you to get you to marry me? Because that's not uncomfortable because she's a 16-year-old girl. But we're not going to talk about that because he's a fifth dimensional imp and he doesn't exist. And this is a fake story. Um, What he does do (laughs) is he brings her parents back to life. He brings her Kryptonian parents back to life to convince her to marry him. And her dad, Zor-El, realizes what's going on. Gets her to marry Mixie's Pitalik, and in doing so, while they're signing the wedding uh, license, forces Mixie's Pitalik to spell his name backwards. And then, when Mixie's Pitalik gets sent back to the fifth dimension, Zorel and his wife disappear from existence. That's fucked up. <laughs> in it, such a profound way. The entire way. issue, the, that entire story is just profoundly fucked up. Anyway, the Silver Age is wild. Action Comics, number 292, September 1962. Here's the best part, guys. Buckle up. Shit's gonna get weird if it hasn't already. Comet the Super Horse! The menagerie of mundane animals with superpowers continues to grow for the Superman family. So, if you recall, Superman has Crypto the Super Dog. Supergirl has Streaky, the super cat. And now we have Comet, the super horse. This is, I'm just going to summarize two issues here because they kind of go together. This is going to be uh, 292 and 293, September, October 1962 of Action Comics. Supergirl starts to have some dreams of a horse appearing 
in her mind and at night uh, of a really cool white stallion that is just as powerful as her and can fly and can help her stop crimes and thwart evil. And eventually her parents are like, hey, where do you want to go for your birthday? She's like, I want to go to the Supergirl dude ranch because that's a thing that exists because I've never expressed as Supergirl any sort of affinity for horses. But someone has branded a horse ranch for me after saving him. So let's go do that. That's not weird. So she goes to the Superman, the Supergirl dude ranch where she sees a horse that eerily resembles the horse from her dreams. And she decides to take that horse out. And it does fantastic things, like listen to her commands, uh, listen to her like it understands her, and start to fucking fly. Then it speaks to her in her mind, telling her that his name is Comet, who used to be a centaur, a beloved worshipper and follower of Circe, the sea witch from the Odyssey. And so in love with Circe was he that after he stopped her rival from hurting her, Cersei granted him with a boon, and he said that he wanted to be a man so that he could be her lover. And Cersei was like, that sounds super cool. I've made two potions, one that can turn you into a man, and one that could turn you into a horse. I don't know why I made the second one, but I, if I do something, I do it all the way, because I'm Cersei in this comic. And unfortunately, the potion that she gives him is the one that turns him into a fucking horse. And not like she labeled them or anything like that, but we'll get to that point. So distraught is Cersei that instead of turning him back to a human, I'm just going to go with the potion only worked on centaurs and not on horses. It's to give her an excuse as to why her human potion didn't work on the horse. She gives him a bun- another potion that gives him the power of a bunch of gods and makes him immortal. Meanwhile, we find out that Cersei's rifle is- rival is the one that switched the potions so that Comet would turn into a horse. And then he banishes him to the constellation Orion, I think. And in doing so, he ties Comet to that constellation so he's forever trapped in the space. And then Supergirl's rocket flies by at some point, and due to its repulsor field that is blocking the meteorites from its path so it doesn't get destroyed on its way to Earth, Comet jumps as the rocket passes and it knocks him out of orbit so he's finally free. And then he goes to Earth to protect Supergirl from afar so that he can join her on adventures. And now they're together, and now he can be her trusty steed. And I swear to God, I'm not making any of this up. It is the weirdest thing. So the best part to take away from this is Comet's immune to kryptonite because he's not Kryptonian. He's actually a magic horse. Key, Key being there, he's magic, which makes him the most useful pet that the Superman family has. He's the only one that isn't vulnerable to kryptonite. First off, he also has telepathy, which he does, is so he can speak to her. More, her yeah, <laughs> extra extra layers there. The thing that bugs me deeply that I didn't think of until we started this conversation: his stated goal, his very clear goal, is to become human again. He thinks of himself as at least a future human. Yes, but he starts to go by comet. 
He does not go by his original centaur name, which is like Bryden or, or Byron or whatever. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't like, matter. He never goes by it again. Buddy, you are letting your humanity slip. <laughs> he's he's diving too deep into the fursona. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And as Supergirl is retold this story, and she's like, "Oh my god, that's wacky from start to finish." She's like, "Yeah, but also let's stop this uh, alien invasion," and they do. And Comet and Supergirl stop an alien invasion. Superman's like, where'd you get this super dope horse? And she's like, from space, but also apparently from ancient Greece. And he's like, that checks out. We live a weird life. Um, here's a cape for it. It's your super horse now. And she's like, dope. And so Comet is now part of the Superman family. Um, action Comics number... There's no more. There's nothing more for me to say about that. I can't. I, there's, I just can't. Action Comics number 294, November 1962. Comet is sold to a movie studio because the dude ranch that owns Comet has seen Comet um, as written by Linda Lee do fantastic stuff. It doesn't know that Comet is also super horse and just thinks that Com- uh, the, the ranch just thinks that Comet's a really well-behaved, well-trained horse. And they're like, we're going to make a bunch of money off this horse by selling it to a movie studio like you would normally if you just saw a horse that could do a bunch of stuff. This movie studio buys it. They cast Comet in a movie about the super horse. So basically, Comet is playing himself in a movie. And they ask Supergirl to be there to help Comet, the mundane horse, quote-unquote, do super horse stuff. So Supergirl's just there watching Comet do his powers and stuff like that. But he seems to be bonding very heavily with the lead actress and eating the local flora and fauna of, I think it's, it's South Africa? Are they in Africa or are they in South America? I don't remember. They're, they are in not the U.S. They are not in Hollywood. Because there are locally Lotus. And Comet is eating the Lotus. And when he does so, he seems to stop using his powers. And not respond to Kara at all as Supergirl. And she gets really pissed off. And she tries to talk to Comet. She realizes he has no telepathy and he has no powers anymore. And Superman's like, well, what's he been eating lately? She's like, I don't know, just a bunch of crap. The forest, these lotus flowers and shit. And he's like, lotus flowers? Just like the island of the lotus eaters from the Odyssey? He must have forgotten who he is. And Kara's like, that seems to make a lot of sense. And so now Comet doesn't know who he is. And he's just a horse that's owned by a... A movie star and Comet had two glorious issues where he was the super horse and now he's just some mundane animal that's running around on a ranch and they're like will Comet ever remember who he is probably not I hope not I hope this character doesn't come back and if it does I hope there there's a great explanation I hope there's a super team up between Ace the Bat Hound and Streaky the Super Cat and Crypto the Dog and Comet the Super Horse just because I think that would be the greatest um, Action Comics number 295 December 1962 Lex Luthor has a sister a younger sister who doesn't know or remember that she's Lex Luthor's sister um, because when she was a young child her parents were like our son is kind of a criminal we should bail um, on town because like, he's making us look bad so we're going to change our last names and uh uh, move away and in the ensuing move they are killed in a car accident and the young girl is put into an orphanage and she's then raised uh, by foster parents and she doesn't know her true origins turns out she has ESP or telepathy and criminals try to recruit her for a gang 
Luthor catches wind of this, and he asks Supergirl to protect his sister from a life of crime. And she watches as the telekinetic sister, uh, Lena Luthor, actually gets a gang trapped by the police by giving them false information. And she wa- and then she's like, I want to join the FBI and be an FBI agent. And Kara's like, I'm going to help you get that job so you stay away from crime. That is the weirdest story, like, plot-wise. Because it shows Luthor being really concerned about his sister staying on the straight and narrow. He does not want his sister being a criminal like him. It gives us actual plot about Luthor's backstory. And apparently Lena Luthor is going to become a recurring character. And I was like, this is weirdly the best issue out of all the issues we read. Because it actually goes somewhere and has some kind of coherency as opposed to I'm a fucking ex-centaur from the ancient Greek world. Um, That's all of our coverage. It feels the most like it adds complexity to the world tapestry that's being built instead of just here's an element yeah so that's the end of our coverage i hope you enjoyed this cacophony of madness i'm sorry it's not there's one thing i have to share because i was curious about whether comet showed up again the answer is yes occasional appearances throughout the remainder of the silver age uh and then comet in a different form exists post-crisis as many characters do a very different comet was introduced in supergirl number 14 in 97 and i'm just gonna drop a picture in chat and you just you just react oh no oh i don't like that one bit reader uh this is a a white-haired Fabio centaur with Pegasus wings outstretched, T-posing in with purple skin in front of a giant cross. Like, up to his chest. Like, like, like an altarpiece, I guess. Well, <laughs> of all the things I've seen, that's certainly the most recent. <laughs> It's a lot. <laughs> oh, boy. Anyway. The big takeaways from this year of Supergirl comics is they tried to do a lot with her and simultaneously nothing at all. There's a lot of things that she does that mean nothing in the way that Martian Manhunter stories are. It's very strange to see a character who is who we are told is incredibly important do nothing now what she's doing is not any different than superman comics i will say that she's doing exactly the same kind of crap that he does and it's just as entertaining that is to say not very so i'm not saying that they are making a they're specifically making a woman look bad i am saying that this is nothing special aside from the lena luthor story And maybe the absurdity of the Comet stories. Because these, to me, are just as bad as, like, the giant super ape Superman had to deal with that one time. And then that one time he got an explosion and he had amnesia and he couldn't remember who he was. And blah, 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 blah. Like, the Superman stories at this time are are of the same vein. 
except Superman's also appearing in Justice League and Superman and the world's finest and Brave and the Bold. He's got a better chance of having a better story show up somewhere than Supergirl only showing up in these instances and having a bad time. Now, she's getting the same page count as Kid Flash is getting. That is to say anywhere between 10 and 12 pages. So if you look at how effective Kid Flash stories are, not being terribly plot-heavy or world-changey, but still solidly written and telling a complete story from start to finish in an action-pulp way, and you look at her stories, the issue is very apparent that they don't know what to do with characters who are that powerful. And if people think that it's hard now for people to write Superman, holy crap, they've always had this problem. It seems to me Superman characters, or Kryptonians in general, are only really well written in one-off storylines, not main continuity, contiguous plot. And I think the problem is that people don't know how to write something for these characters that challenges them in a specific way every single time. The challenge with the Kryptonian characters isn't a physical challenge, it's an emotional and mental challenge. It's an ideological challenge. Those are what the Kryptonian characters do best. Standing up for the little guy, protecting people that need saving, and helping people who are in trouble. A la All-Star Superman, or Superman for All Seasons. Those are the quintessential Superman stories that people always point back to of, this is my Superman. I imagine Kara is suffering from the same issue, is that, what do you do with a character who is this powerful? What can we possibly give you to challenge you? And comics, as an artistic, emotional art form, have not evolved yet to that point. So we're struggling with the plots at the moment that are really only surface deep. So there's a couple pieces in there that I want to I want to touch on a little bit. Um, in regards to the page length, it's worth calling out that not only are these Supergirl stories roughly commensurate with the length of one of the Kid Flash stories, they're actually about generally the same length or very slightly shorter than the Superman stories that they're backing up. Like they're generally like 12 and 12. Um, so yeah, the, the page count isn't the issue. It's how they use it. Uh, there was a point in there where you were generous with the creators about this not being a gendered thing. And I think we're, we're going to diverge on that a little bit. Just this might end up being the springboard into talking about this, but I do not have the faith in, I don't have the trust in these creators that they are treating uh, Linda the same way that they would treat a male character. Uh, I, I I think you're right, probably, and that I was being generous. They're just the stories where someone comes up with the solution, and it's 
it didn't have to be the character who did. It doesn't mean anything special that they did. They just got it instead of her. Uh, you called out uh, Brainiac, uh, Brainiac 15, I think is his number. Five. Uh, having the, no, Brainiac 5 uh, with the shrink ray at the at, in her debut. But also the, the one that I keep going back to is uh, the Mr. Mixie Spitalik story. She... And she does a decent job of sort of handling him in the early phase. Uh, she doesn't get the win, but okay, like he he does his usual like uh, x nth dimensional. I don't remember an eighth Fifth. dimensional uh, magic. Fifth dimensional magic. Good call. Good call. Uh, the fact that she she does the usual. Okay, he's doing hijinks. I can deal with the symptoms while I try to figure out how to send him back, but. It's ultimately her dad who gets the win, who can who figures out how to make him say his name backwards. And specifically that in the instances like that, it is the other person acting without her being involved. It is the male authority figure in this case, uh, the, the literal father figure acting without conferring with her. It, there's no even like, hey, play along or anything. It's just, well, when I was ready to act, I acted. And that was that uh, unilateral action. Yeah. You're absolutely right there. That's the one that came to mind. Uh, well, actually, maybe even the uh, the Comet stories, like especially yeah. that first Comet story. It's like, uh, she shows up and she she helps fight against the alien invasion, which winds up being the one real challenge from that first story. And Comet's the one who does everything. Yeah, because Comet's immune to kryptonite, and they're and the aliens are using kryptonite rays for reasons. And so her and Superman are useless. So Comet, the super horse, who is definitely a man or male at least, is the one that saves the day. That one is less, I guess, less gendered in terms of the character who solves it, and more that she isn't able to solve it i guess is sort of where my brain goes uh yeah because i mean horse there's less masculinity associated with that uh but yes you are correct all right so first off uh fuck everything about the relationship between superman and supergirl and i'm not even at this stage necessarily talking about the issue of her trying to find the match for him and the cousin thing, etc. But the fact that in her, uh, I'm going to reveal you uh, to the world story, her reactions are traumatized, I think. The way that yeah. she reacts to the idea that she might have, again, disappointed isn't the right word, but have not followed superman's instructions to the letter uh if this were viewed through a realistic a real world lens i would see that as the person preemptively like tensing not wanting to reveal that this thing happened i tried i solved it i tried to solve it to the best of my ability i think i did the right thing but i'm worried that i'm going to get judged and criticized right now and i I can't take that. Uh, the specific thing that happens uh, is sh 
Superman says, I'm going to reveal you to the world uh, and let's meet with your parents and we'll reveal you to them and we'll meet up at like 9 p.m. I'll, I'll come to your house and we'll uh, talk it through. And she has to she has to go into Supergirl mode and reveal herself to her family to save them because uh, their car's falling off a road and before the before 9 p.m. And she is worried that Superman is going to take this away from her. She is going to have to be not revealed. And she is terrified of this. And to some degree, it's... First off, to some degree, it's justified because I think we've had these kinds of situations in the past where Superman has withdrawn privileges for something going wrong isn't even the right word. She's she's had dreams of it happening. Mm. Mm-hmm. It has never happened. That is why they take the time to say it is a dream. It is not a dream. It is not a hallucination. This is a real thing happening. She is so afraid of this occurring. She is dreaming about it like this. And let's, for perspective, folks, let's put it this way. If you had a friend who had a really clean house and you were really impressed that his house was always clean and later you come to find that it is not he who cleans that house. It is his cousin, who he has not told you about, and has not told anyone about, but his cousin, who has been living in that home, cleaning his house for him. And his cousin, who you are now meeting, seems incredibly tense that had they revealed themselves to you when they shouldn't have, they would not have been able to be brought out to the public. Like a house elf. That, that was the exact comparison that I was drawing. <laughs> yeah. It's really weird. Yeah. It's really weird. Especially when he uses her to fight crime and to save him. It is done under the guise of him wanting to keep her secret until she's got her shit together with her powers. That would have played had he been seen showing her how to use her powers. That's the missing piece with this narrative. Without it, it's don't fuck up and don't tell anybody you exist. And that's the other piece is that that initial idea that she is uh, not yet ready. It comes up sometimes, but what's most frequently said is secret weapon. You are my secret weapon. Uh, And that is explicitly her utility to him. Granted, in the context of his mission saving humanity or protecting humanity but it is explicitly you are my secret weapon and the other bit that sticks out about that entire story about the reveal there supergirl has no agency in any of that story because a she doesn't well the big thing is everything is clark's decision in this uh the fact that they're going to reveal her to the world they're going to reveal her to her parents. He is going to be part of that reveal uh, to the parents. Everything is him deciding. And you can argue that her agency in it was stating earlier that this is a thing that I want. And then working towards it to prove herself as she eventually kind of does. But I guess what I'm saying is that a graduation ceremony has to involve the person who is graduating having some say in it and this is just hey guess what 
you're graduating now and here is exactly the ceremony that you are going to go through and you have no space for expression. Like imagine a graduation where they don't just take away the they don't just take away the inflatable beach balls that everybody throws around uh to keep entertained during it but actively like walking up and down the aisle or you you people react as though there were someone walking up and down the aisle with like a nightstick waiting for the first sign of an inflatable beach ball that's what it feels like there's someone with an applause sign at the head of the group yeah yeah uh and the second piece that I said we weren't going to get into just just at that point is that uh, Supergirl, Superman, uh, just cousins thing. And I actually want to expand broader on that. There is a certain relationship here at play beyond the cousinhood. The, the young female mentee and the older male mentor relationship that I just don't trust anymore, I guess, would be the way to put it. A show or a piece of pop culture has to prove to me that that not just the writing isn't going to infer anything sexual, anything romance, uh, but also the people writing it can't like or are are not are, are above that reproach. I need to have that trust in both the writing and the writer, uh, and I don't have that here. Uh, because of what's being demonstrated here. And honestly, I hate to say it, but like, as I was thinking about how uncomfortable that whole thing made me, I started mirroring it out to other parts of pop culture that that have sort of hit me this way. So Joss Whedon is the example I go to uh, because yep. you have, first off, uh, he has been, uh, his ex-wife has said that he had uh, affairs uh, with people involved with Buffy and specifically the, the phrasing around it was with people who, or actually his phrasing of like in his confession letter is uh, he felt like as a producer, a person with the world at your feet and taking advantage of that to a degree. And his ex-wife has inferred that with, he had these relationships with people who he had presumably employment power over. Uh, and I can't view the relationship between Buffy and Giles as a purely platonic one because I can't help but feel that that is Whedon writing himself in as I am the older male figure and this is the kind of girl that I would find idealized and attracted to and attracted to me. I can't avoid seeing that anymore especially and and the other big example getting talking of comics specifically now uh is that kitty pride and wolverine and i, I want to be clear mm -hmm. from the beginning on this one uh the only thing that the only place i've ever heard this is uh the jane miles explain the x-men podcast greg Rucka was on i think episode 22 talking about kitty pride and said that that he had heard, I believe that he had heard that uh, Claremont intended for uh, Kitty Pride and Wolverine to end up in a relationship, and that if you if you go in with that reading, it is abundantly clear. And thankfully, that isn't where those characters ended up going. But uh, but yeah, as a result, it's comics certainly 
isn't a place where I can give the benefit of the doubt to relationships, to mentor-mentee relationships between older men and younger women, in particular in situations where the older man is the only person who can really understand and appreciate and empathize with what the younger woman is going through. You see that in uh, Buffy. Giles is really the only like serious character uh, who understands the weight that's on the Slayer. Uh, you see that here, where Supergirl and Superman are the only two superpowered people from Krypton. Uh, that's just a... They share that. He's the only one who gets her. And I just can't... It's for it's forcing it. Yeah. It, yeah. The other, the other thing that happens, and I think this is an issue with that dynamic just kind of in general, uh, I, I am averse to any story where, character, where we have a, a, a found family uh, or a people who are supposed to be working together and the story makes them not. Like, not just not, but uh, in order for the story to work, they have to be unwilling to communicate and try to, like, see the other person's side or work with them. Uh, you often have the, with with the older male mentor and younger female mentee relationship, you often have the, as the, the wise male mentor and the emotional, in touch with her emotions and uh, desire for freedom, like, younger female mentee. Uh, and because the story, often the stories that are being written are between the clash of those two ideas. Uh, you have fundamentally stories where these aren't partners. These aren't people working together. It's, Hey, these are people who can't until the third act runs around. And then the point is they reconcile it in some way. The, the older man realizes that the freedom that the freedom the that the younger person needs freedom and he needs more freedom in his life and the the younger woman realizes that she needs to be a little more measured in her approach uh and everything comes together but the fact that these story these uh mentorship relationships often have that dynamic where their styles are opposed and have to be for the story it's not a buddy cop comedy anymore it's not a buddy cop story anymore it is actively two people with a power indifference clashing and they have to clash for the story it just there are so many pieces of this dynamic that as i get older and in this era uh i it is so much harder for that to land for me i think you're right that there is a level of wariness that is taken now um especially in this current climate of comics specifically with how much um controversy is coming out with so many uh um accounts of grooming and predatory nature within the comics industry i imagine it's so it was so much worse back in the 60s i mean we know it was with with julia schwartz who being the editor-in-chief of, of dc at the time there is a level of they didn't know any better which doesn't make it okay but makes it more commonplace than I think it mm -hmm. does now. It's it, it's not an excuse and it's not a reason to overlook it. It is it is a uh, explanation for why it was occurring. Mm -hmm. I think it might be less nefarious and more just 1960s mentality than it is abusive power. Though I guarantee there was some abusive power um, 
fantasies being played out in some of these comics. I mean, we know for a fact from Marston playing out his own fantasies in his own comic that it was very common to do. So I, I, I don't discount what you're saying is that there might be someone out there portraying a, a relationship that they, you know, secretly fantasized about or etc. But I also think it was probably more commonplace and less taboo back in the 60s than it is now. And it was probably more blatant, but also less malicious in a weird way. Yes. Uh, and, and, and that's a yeah. that's a weird it's a weird dichotomy. Again, this is not an this is not an excuse or um a a sweeping under the rug kind of a thing. It's just, yeah, I'm sure that happened. I'm sure it, you know, now with so much awareness of it, it, when it does happen, it always seems to be much more for nefarious purposes. But back then it was probably they were still calling, you know, women broads. You know, sexual harassment in the workplace was not a common topic that was spoken about, and their mentalities were definitely not the same. And I'm sure it was happening. It was just less monitored. Yeah, and I think all of this is absolutely true. Like, it kind of the way, I guess where my brain puts it is this is an, probably at this stage like an unexamined trope. Like, people writing it mm-hmm. without thinking about, okay, what, why am I writing this? Like, one of the, one of the things that... I realized a couple years back was I guess I was uh, like feminism 101ing where okay now you need to do the grad work was realizing that oh hey when when I write I often write female characters as the protagonists because like hey th- this is me pushing myself to be a little more inclusive and then realizing oh pretty much every time I do that I'm like this is a character that I would find attractive like intentionally or not I'm writing it that way uh mm-hmm. intentionally or not they're writing character they're writing a power dynamic that is uh strong or powerful older man m- weaker more docile uh younger woman but yeah i think that there is an unexamined core that makes it rough for me and i think that's perfect and i think that's perfectly valid the more you learn to be able to examine that the way that you do. And I think that's what mm-hmm. everybody should do when they take in media and they learn things is to go like, oh, this is a thing that I'm now noticing. One one closing thought to just give us a, a little like less serious thing to sort of end the review on. It really interested me that in these stories, when when they there are points where they bring up the president and the first lady and it is very it, it is literally explicitly jackie kennedy and jfk yeah the only other time we'd seen a president specifically face on like that was roosevelt for jsa i forgot about that so it just it was like huh okay straight up jfk all right anyway um as far as recommendations go since we're on that path mm-hmm um, I have started to play uh, Assassin's Creed Odyssey because I'm always behind the times now when it comes to games. And uh, I'm enjoying it. Uh, I'm still not a fan of the combat style that they have carried over from Assassin's Creed Origins, which I, I hear is much more like the Dark Souls games. Um, but I think the game is cool. It looks pretty. I like being able to, to choose conversations op- conversation options now as a character. Um, I, I basically am playing Wonder Woman because you can choose your gender at the beginning of the game. Um, so I was like, yeah, I will play a giant Amazonian Spartan woman. Of course I will do that. Why would I not? Um, and 
it, the map is is beautiful and and huge and the cities are well uh you know populated and they seem so alive it's a fun game my real the real recommendations are hunter x hunter and hades but i got i gotta spotlight mm -hmm. this this weird shit just because just because so for for those who don't know what asmr is it's either relaxing things to listen to to help you sleep or it's things that can trigger a little bit of a neurological reaction of like people talk about brain tingles uh since for the autonomous sensory meridian response yes that is a thing if you were curious to learn more go google that google that and you will figure it out at worst it's relaxing stuff at best it's some interesting stuff that feels like it borders on pseudoscience so who knows but yeah. uh, regardless there is some nice relaxing and pleasant stuff to listen to and also sometimes it's it is nice to have just some pre-recorded positive uh interactions i guess would be a way to put it uh yeah. it's just kind of nice to be able to put on uh like role play someone talking to you etc etc uh what i'm going to recommend is a strong word but i have to at least talk <laughs> about is this guy uh Tirar, i'm gonna mispronounce it i'm sure uh tirar de Huel, uh t-i-r-a-r a d e g u e l l o, but he has a podcast. He has a an ASMR podcast that is each episode is roughly an hour long, is probably scripted because it's going through stuff. And here's the real kicker: it has its own cinematic universe of sorts, it, or more accurately, that kind of world built. Uh, continuity I, and continuity is a strong word but that kind of like that world building Nightmare. version of continuity that we've talked about even more than that like jesus on, there is an ongoing narrative throughout this uh at, if nothing else especially in like episodic arcs of I, I guess one example is hey we realize that the shadow vampires who we've talked about occasionally in like individual like monster of the week stuff are actually part of a an a long-term conspiracy to invade the mortal uh, like the mortal plane uh they work best on in darkness and uh, as a result they're they're doing really well in atlantis so we need to go to atlantis fight a sub on the way have an asmr out of that somehow uh get to atlantis talk to the atlanteans they realized that they could they realized that they could make uh like light guns to fight the the shadow vampires and there are a hundred episodes of this that's the plot of underworld Really? Light guns. Yeah. <laughs> Having just watched Underworld for huh. the first time. <laughs> huh. uh, I mean, I'm not mad at it. It's just <laughs> funny. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, my point on this is just how strange it is to find something that has reasonably strong continuity in places you wouldn't expect it at all is fascinating to me uh and yeah if you're if if you are having trouble sleeping or you just want something like calming to listen to while you fall asleep uh his podcast is exactly that and it's just kind of weird <laughs> as always there are two kinds of people on this podcast um <laughs> and it's always it's always fun um we hope you've enjoyed 
this cacophony of madness that is the Supergirl comics. We're going to do one more episode of this, then we're going to move on to Superman, and then probably Wonder Woman, and then JLA. And then we start all over again. We start this glorious journey once more. So uh, get ready for more Supergirl on our next episode. DC Detectives can be found on SoundCloud and iTunes. To stay in the know, check out our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The stories themselves weren't terrible, but when we eavesdropped on Supergirl's conversations with Superman, well, it was enough to make us uncomfortable. Relics of an antiquated attitude. We were scheduled to stay in Midvale for a few more days. Maybe the stories would pick up a little? <laughs>